Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley, and 13 years ago, I bought a really run-down weatherboard house in Castlemaine. It's the reason I moved to this town, being the only house in my price range in the whole state at the time. It's just luck that the town my affordable house was in is this one, which is overflowing with amazing people and is bursting with a really cool, complex community which, to be completely honest, isn't even stuff I knew existed or that I would want or need when I was looking for a place to live. Over a decade later, the house is still a work in progress. Limited funds and limited capacity makes this an ongoing, long-term project. But one thing I've really learnt to value is my local salvage yard. I've dropped down there many, many times over the years as I was working on different parts of the house to pick up a bit of second-hand corrugated iron, some lengths of timber, a sink, toilet, Doors, windows, you name it, they've got it. I even got a whirly gig for ventilation in my roof from them. Anna and Matt run the place, and every time I go, it's an adventure. Their dogs greet my dog, and I wander around with my tape measure, a notebook, and I imagine using all of the things I see, but don't really need. They have stained glass windows and glass blocks and ginormous wheels. So today's episode is exploring waste again, but this time, We're looking at the building industry and how we can construct and dismantle buildings better. To record this interview, I went to their house, which is an apartment that is probably larger than my house. It sits above one of the salvage yard sheds and is itself made mostly from salvaged materials. As ever, I want to acknowledge that saltgrass is produced on Jara Country, the home of the Jajaburung. They have been zero-waste ecosystem guardians and custodians of this land for countless generations and continue to lead the way and generously share their wisdom on how to live here better. I give thanks to them and honour Elders past, present and future. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Salt. Salt. Grassroots. 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 Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. How did you get to the point where you wanted to run a salvage yard? What led to that? We probably won't go way back in time, but when we first moved to central Victoria, we were in our mid-twenties. I've grown up on a cattle station with those values of remote living and, I guess, frugality and that sort of thing, and interested in building shelters. And then I went to art school and studied sculpture, and I guess I was always interested in sculptures that encompassed place and artists that did installations in public space around shelters. I mean, I just found that the things I was interested in were gravitating towards cubby building. Cubby Cubby building. building. (laughs) Always loved making stuff. And when we moved to Friestown, Matt's been hugely influential for me with regards to just not ever considering buying anything new to build because there's lots of stuff lying around and he was always such a good gleaner that that kind of rubbed off. So I grew up in Greensboro Eltham which has got a strong earth building background so that was just kind of part of my DNA growing up and mum and dad had a yard in the backyard. Dad's a landscaper so we grew up around piles of timber and stuff that dad would get out of Port Melbourne wharfs and those things so then ended up just making furniture building houses in that same theme of designing around what's available so I've never really had another option really so coming up here first job with Ron and Sarah Murray they had a very small budget so it was recycling in a proper way of going out finding cheap things and trying to place them all together to make it a nice house and then we moved to Fry's down to our own place there same thing combination of having no money and also wanting to build that way yeah, we never planned on staying around here, just did one job and then that led on to <laughs> another job and we needed some more employees and all of a sudden it kind of grew and next thing we got busy. So, I mean, Friestown probably for us was just an accidental crap block of land that had been totally in post-industrially overworked and was a good opportunity to clean it up, remove 14 car bodies and 
deal with erosion gullies and yeah so it was the harshest block of land that we could find it was the cheapest block of land we could find we just met anna was living in tassie and teaching down there i just got back from tassie on a monday morning after seeing anna we just started dating you know i was driving back from the long-term car park towards warrandite to finish this job off and then ron and sarah rang and said hey we're in castlemaine i was like yeah i've heard of that town but <laughs> haven't been there i said oh, we're up here and we've found this block of land and in Japan. and we've been bouncing ideas around one day designing and building a house. So I turned the car around, came up the call the freeway, went to the block and went, this is amazing. Rang Anna and said, want to move to Castle Main? She's like, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, knew, I knew it was very dry. That's all I knew um, from yeah. Northeast Victoria. So yeah. Literally within a month, we were living in a caravan on the block they bought. They got a one month settlement and built a shack from the old Castle Main tip shop. So scrap metal, scrap timber, we built a shack and lived there for six months while we started their house. And then, yeah, then Frystown came in that time. And then you saw a property for yourselves and did yeah. the same thing all over well, again. Well, <laughs> we sort of didn't mean to. I think we started thinking, oh, it's a pretty good place. I was teaching in Ballarat part-time and building up at Ron and Sarah's. And, you know, we didn't, we just, things just kind of roll hap for happened, us. Yeah. We, I have to admit, we... We probably don't set out with huge intention <laughs> in life. Like we've just, I mean, I definitely feel like I've, life has just happened to me. Yeah. And I guess I've got over feeling ashamed about that in a world where you, you know, you meant to just like take things and set goals, but yeah. you know. Have a plan. Yeah, have a plan. I never really had a plan. It just, you know. Look, going with happened. the flow has worked for you guys. Yeah. This is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was no discussion years ago about let's have a salvage yard, just yeah. that we had behind the house at Frystown, we had about half an acre of space which we just covered in materials for building jobs. So for all our stuff. yeah clients' jobs, when things come up in this industry, you've <laughs> we're got not to... hoarders, but yeah. <laughs> well, I did actually say to Matt that if you continue along this path, you have to justify your obsession, and that either means having a massive clearance sale or turning it into an industry that thereby you can continue feeding your hoarding. People used to come in and say, is that stuff in your backyard for sale? And all of a sudden we were wheeling and dealing. It was never the plan, it was always for jobs. Jason Mills, that used to own Tonks Brothers, we did the renovation of, of the old Tonks store in town over 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. We used a lot of recycled materials in that job and we reused a lot of the stuff from Tonks. In the demolition of the back part of the old part of Tonks, we reused that in this new renovation. Over that time, Jason and I become good friends and Tonks talked about looking for a trade outlet, somewhere to store more materials to feed the old store in town. I talked about the idea of wanting to have a bit of a demolition salvage yard in Castlemaine because there wasn't one. The time came where we thought, let's do something together. So the idea of looking for a yard, a bit of a story shed for Tonks and a bit of a secondhand salvage yard. This block came along about 10 years ago. 12. 12 years ago, oh really? Used Sorry. to be the old McClure's gravel washing plant. Yeah, so we sold our place at Friars Town, which we built over 10 years, and started to build this yard. So it's a seven acre property, and, and we've since subleased to the Goodop shop, a few other tenants. There's a guitar maker here, a sound recording studio, waffle pad. Sam O'Donnell's got a furniture business here. He also does all the timber machining for our recycled timber. He utilises a lot of material in their own projects too that come through the yard here. House Workshop, the building company, they've been operating out of here for a while. Same thing, specialising in, in using these materials in their jobs. So did you build all the buildings? Yeah, so the building we're sitting in right now, which is our house in the back of this, they call it our New York style apartment. Do in we? The, oh, it's called that. <laughs> so it's just a glorified shed, basically. Shed house, shouse. So we're living at the back of our first shed we built. We were running our building company, Pump House Design, out of here while we were developing the yard. Yeah, yeah. it's all built out of second yeah, materials. Yeah, so the yard's made up of two sheds. We call it the small shed and the big shed. We live in the back of the small shed. And then there's a showroom downstairs of all your fire surrounds, bits and bobs, more your kind of chattels from houses. Then there's the outdoor area, which is all your big heavy outdoor items, wharf timbers, steel, bricks, different types of masonry. And then we've got like a smaller shed, which is our doors and window shed. That's a, sh a shed built on racking. That's kind of like a system of storing doors and windows. The big shed next door where Tonks was is predominantly timber. That's all our racked out flooring, beams, all your structural timbers. And there's like a pigeonhole system in that, which is a kind of customer picking area. 
and then amongst all that there's all the little bits and pieces that are kind of placed around garden beds on corners all those kind of one-off items that come in knick-knack paddy wax yep yeah <laughs> and then we put a few garden beds in between it we try to make a yard it's not just a big hot industrial landscape and then there's a little cafe tonks when they were here put in a little commercial kitchen verity she runs the little coffee shop there the same hours as the good op shop Steely yeah. rambling, you definitely need more than an hour. I often find the hardest thing to do over social media is convey the scale that we've got here. And so people sometimes turn up and are just really overwhelmed and realise that they haven't left enough time. Yep. I think we need to set up maybe some golf carts or some <laughs> customer courtesy <laughs> well, bikes. A, a little good, train that people can Yeah, you just see it as a good excuse for a train, yeah. 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 Good exercise. Yeah. It's a little bit of industrial land that's kind of on the side of the, the Malden Railway the steam train. train. Yeah. So that's just to the north of us. And then uh, to the east is just residential housing. So we've got about a dozen houses that border the yard and then we've got the the creek to our west so we're on the edge of the creek which came right to the boundary line in the recent floods it didn't um, spill didn't, over into you just came to the fence line wow. yeah yeah and so for you it's hard to go past something if it's getting knocked down and you see some great stuff it's hard for you to drive by you would have to stop and like yeah pick it hard. up map yeah, very, very hard still yeah yeah, very hard. yeah. <laughs> yeah. we build a business around hoarding yeah basically for good reason, which we might get to, but, you know, yeah. But I think we as it's humans have good. that instinct for a reason. Yeah. Because when times are lean, waste not, want not is a saying for a yeah. reason. Yeah. People who are really good at getting the tiniest bit of value out of everything actually yeah. can survive lean times. Yeah, and you can label it. I mean, I've been known to be called a prepper it's in my pantry. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to yeah. say, how many tins do you have? <laughs> yeah, well, I did grow up fairly remote, so yeah, yeah I, well, I was never able to shake that bulk shopping thing. Yeah. It, it's slightly prepping. I don't like the assumption that it will always be there Yeah. to just pop down and get what you need. I do like the idea that you don't go down the street and you just kind of build a meal out of whatever you've got or yeah. you build a house out of whatever you've got which is kind of the difference between like architecture and yeah designing a house based on the design and then going out to source those materials to fit your design as opposed to building a house around whatever you've got and the design then evolves from the other end. And I can see that old school farmer really remote stations and farms you did buy stuff six months in advance and also that understanding of the seasonal that things aren't always available yeah it's that kind of mindset isn't yeah, it yeah 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 look because we both just can't bear seeing maybe it's an aging thing as well when you've kind of grown up in another time that you do recognize better built i feel like our generation has grown up in the 70s and 80s when things were still well built and now we live in a time that basically you can't recycle most furniture and housing because of all the kind of leaps in glues and factory produced stuff so i think for us it it was both of us just can't bear seeing the well-built things getting knocked over and disappearing on the back of a truck, ultimately to end up in a hole in the ground. I mean, it's just stupid. It's like a dumb approach to building materials. It's interesting because like my house is cheaply built, rapidly built house from the 50s using hardwood frame which no one uses these days it's not treated so there's no massive chemical baths that the wood goes through it's rough hewn so it's rough as guts it's hard to work with but we're we're doing renovations with it every builder who comes to my house some joke that you could just knock it down and start again but most of them are like this has got really good bones and you don't see this kind of construction anymore and it's a commission house like yeah. that's the one of the cheapest roughest buildings that was built in the 50s and it's mm. still using better totally. materials than what's being but built but maybe today. that talks to the better trained and better educated era of builders it also talks to cutting down old growth forests for timber <laughs> which, better quality yeah. which we don't want to do anymore so no. there's there's pros and cons to all of it mm. but it's it's an interesting thing that some of these really old houses that look like they're falling down actually contain really good components these days everything's glued on so you can't take it off at the end of its life and reuse it because well, it breaks when you, you take it you can't lift a glued floor off a slab and it's just kind of criminal but yeah mm. yeah so i guess along with me saying you have to justify your obsession and 
having known a lot of people in the demolition industry and it, you know there's some real characters that work in the demolition industry especially we were sitting in the back of the car at Bob's yard once and Albie looks out the window and he says to me mummy daddy has some funny friends doesn't he <laughs> this kind of toothless guy like produces another like yabby net yeah mate you want to yabby net he always had a gift for the kids yeah yeah we went there to pick up stuff yeah. So knowing that places like that that had most of the great gear because they'd been like smashing it down and dumping it in the back paddock for years, found it really hard to bridge the gap in conversation with the general public, didn't know how to kind of talk to younger generation, weren't interested in dealing with the general public. We just felt that there was kind of a need for people that had a different language to be able to bridge a gap between the old fellas and this new evolving up and coming generation of owner builders. I guess also if you get known as someone who will take stuff when people have stuff going, then you end up with this great network of people who call you and say, hey, this building's coming down, do you want to come down? Whereas most people, if I'm building a place, I don't know anyone. No one's going to call me with that information. Yeah. <laughs> so you become this hub of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Customer, I think part of the reason staying here in the beginning was that there's so many like-minded people here that have got their own little stash in their backyard. There's a lot of builders in Castlemaine that think the same way and own the builders. We're just a bigger version of a lot of people's sheds and backyards in this town. A lot of our stuff comes from Melbourne, a lot of our stuff goes back to Melbourne, but we're definitely really well supported but there's locally a community as well. here of people who yeah. also like to salvage and and Yeah, it's great and, so. and I think, you know, this is... Does it get a bit competitive? Like, yeah. you got to get there first and... Yeah, the yards I've always loved are the yards that aren't just trying to chase one kind of customer. So a lot of the yards in Melbourne now and around are just high-end timber recyclers, which is fine, that's their, their thing. So there's only a handful of those, but they're very competitive. And when you're chasing after these materials, those guys are really kind of fighting for it and the prices are getting right up there. We've tried to have a yard that's more your old-fashioned builder's yard, so it's your corrugated iron, your bricks, Dunnies. Your letterbox, that kind of thing. I've got a dunny from yeah, you guys. Yeah, you've got a dunny. Yep, got to have a sinks. toilet sometimes. Sinks. Yeah, yep. so yeah, that's the, that's the stuff. So quite often I'm down on sites where these guys are getting all the big items and I'm around the edges picking up all the stuff that yep. we get left behind. That's the part that's fun. That does mean you've got to try and somehow try and get all these things onto the back of your truck. <laughs> yeah, it's always, like a Jenga. So it's quite often, yeah. quite often come home in the cover of darkness yeah. late at night. Who are not so visible on the highway. Yeah. But there's not enough of those yards left anymore. Like, you know, these model yards where you've got that across-the-board mm. building materials. I feel like you could come yeah. here and pretty much build a whole house because you've got floorboards, you've got corrugated iron, windows, doors, yeah. plumbing. Yeah. And I look, a lot of our stuff's from a yeah, period building, so we haven't got a lot of double glaze. We've got a lot of double glazed glass. It's surplus from city buildings, but people are pulling out a lot of stuff to upgrade to more energy efficient windows but if you've got a period building in melbourne and you're trying to find a lead light window that matches it's going to be hard to find that so yeah. that kind of stuff we're cool. trying to keep yeah but we haven't even really touched the surface like in melbourne there's mm. more houses being crushed every day than we can get to we'd probably only be luckily to be oh two percent of what's happening in melbourne i just haven't got the time to be down there all the time we've got a very small group of demolishers that we work with they know how to do it properly, how to pull apart things without wrecking them. That's the biggest issue. As well, like, there's occupational health and safety problems with de demolition yeah. too, isn't there? Like you've got to... Which is totally also is. lack of knowledge of yeah. how to do it safely and properly. Because yeah. you can devalue materials very quickly just by ripping it out the wrong way. Yeah, the OHS stuff, that's just a smoke screen, I think, to, to knock it out of your machine. Like just in the last month, there's been two big accidents in Melbourne with excavators where they should have been, both jobs should have been done by hand because one, they put the excavator on a floor of a building that was a suspended floor and it fell through the floor. Oh, the driver survived, but he crashed down through two floors. That should have been bought, pulled down by hand because it was, but he's gone for the, the they quicker. They put an excavator two floors up. Yeah. Oh, it was a house on the side of a hill That's in Hawthorne. Wild. And it went down through both floors. Wow. Would have been would have been better done by hand and yeah. you would have saved all the material. But, but that's time and labour, isn't it? Well, it's yeah. training. So yeah. Nobody's trained people the to old, do it. Yeah. There is, mm. There's no industry. They, there's, it's, it's called demolition mm. and demolition has a, bent, a safety... Bent, yeah, yeah, it should be called, it should be called deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah, dismantling. Once upon a time, not long ago, 
the model shoes actually didn't get paid to pull a house down. They just got the salvage rights. So all those yards through Melbourne that have now mostly gone, oh, so they survived, the survived off what they sold their yards. So yeah. the demolition part was covered from what they sell, so they had to pull it apart carefully. So that's kind of, you know, that's, that's changed in the last 30 years. But the price of demolishing a house is barely, since they started paying to remove a house, that price has hardly changed in the last 20 years. It's still about 15000 to 20000 to completely clear a site. Which includes landfill tipping costs, which are up and over yeah, which means, 70 bucks a tonne now. Which means that they're justifying that destruction by having to get in and get out quickly because they haven't got time. Yeah. So they're using the machine, they're going quickly, and as far as safety stuff goes, they're taking more risks now to try and pull a house down quickly than they are if they were taking a bit more time mm. and using their hands. It's really interesting. My house that I grew up in was a beautiful red brick home, and when my parents sold it, the whole block got flattened. There wasn't anything left. Yeah. All the plants, all the paths, oh, the whole time. house got, and I'm sure that it just got like carted away en masse. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, that was a good quality house. There was nothing wrong with that house, but it wasn't in the style yeah. that these people wanted. It was yeah. a little bit 70s. It's legalised vandalism, basically. Mm. And my uncle works for a Melbourne City Council on urban design. Talking to him a while ago, he said Melbourne's economy is based on knocking down and rebuilding. It's, it's interesting the, because the there's, this, there's an argument that houses these days will get built with double glazing and better insulation, but actually a lot of them are built with no eaves, no solar passive capacity. It's only but part of the equation. Double glazing and insulation is definitely a big part of it, but it's only part of the equation. You can apply that sort of thinking across all sectors. My brother drives a 1963 403 Peugeot and his kind of thinking is that the embodied energy it takes to keep producing a new car all the time for more efficiency is outweighed by looking after what you've got. That's pretty much what we do in this world now. We yeah. just constantly chase our tail. Yeah. It's the iPhone upgrade mentality, constantly. isn't it? Like mm. people more efficiency. Yeah. You can make an old house perform really well yes. with renovating it. I wouldn't say that we are anti-development at all. Sometimes I look at those houses and often it's through the most affluent suburbs of like Brighton and Turak and South Yarra and Camberwell and Hawthorne, which are big blocks of land. Robin Anir also wrote about in her book on Wheelands, is that most of Melbourne's inner city, those buildings have been built three or four times on the same block of land. So a lot of the buildings that you see now have had four or five incarnations since settlement, easily. So that is Melbourne's economy. But yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm anti-development. It's just the lack of foresight as to what happens to those materials once they're gone, which probably leads into other questions that you've asked me about, about training and education and the next generation, that kind of thing. Because there's no point salvaging if there's no market for it at the other end. You just end up with the yards full of stasis that get bigger and bigger and bigger. So you need not only people to build with recycled materials and know how to build with the recycled materials, but also how to deconstruct. And to yeah. build with deconstruction in mind mm. would be ideal, surely. <clears throat> yeah, I would have thought so. And, and a, then a how of, do you do that? Yeah, that's right. And like a lot of materials, you can come up with other uses for them. So, you know, the original use might have been a bit of framing timber or, or a concrete footpath. But if you think out of the square a bit, both those things can become a thousand different projects in the future you know, dry stone walls or crushed up and used as road base. Hardwood timber framing in houses in Melbourne is some of the best timber you're going to get in this country. There's a thousand uses for it. If you're paying a tradesperson 85 bucks an hour, it panics you to think that they're going to have to pull nails out of something. So then you might take that back to a different wage bracket and think, okay, what am I going to pay this person to pull nails out of timber? Recycling is something that's always been seen I think in our culture that the people that do it are the ones that are poor. Your hardware materials have just probably doubled in price in the last year or so. People are complaining about it. I think it's a great thing. I mean I'm not a fan of the fact it's probably just a few wealthy people getting richer but the fact that we're putting more monetary value on material goods is probably going to happen. A piece of pine framing, six metre length of 4x2 pine is now about 40 to 50 dollars a stick. It sounds like a lot, but if you had to grow that tree, cut that tree down, mill that pine, treat it, forklift it, wrap it, stack it, 
handle it probably 20 times before it gets to the hardware store, and then they've got to make their margin, pay their wages. It's probably worth that much, but we've been so used to having everything so quick, so cheap, that we've justified throwing it away. And this is you know, the nice thing about where we are at the moment is giving everyone a chance to, to relook at our values and go, oh, hang on, maybe, maybe that north wall that my builder's pulling down, maybe you can reuse that framing, because all of a sudden it is actually worth paying the guy to do it. Even if you are paying 80 bucks an hour, the timber he's going to pull out is probably worth four times that. So it's kind of going around and hopefully it means that people will get off their ass and... Be more, more resourceful. Yeah, the thing about recycling... About what they consume Recycling, constantly. whether it's in the house or on the building site or on commercial, it takes quite a bit of effort. It takes a bit of skill. It takes some skills that are being lost. But it, it is definitely worthwhile. And yeah, you either got to pay someone or use your own energy. And I think that's the biggest thing we find is that in this industry, it's a really small pool of people that actually do it. There's, yep, sure enough, in this in Castle Main, there's, a, there's quite a big pool because this is the kind of town it is, but most of the country are just paying for the look, paying, paying someone else to do it, which means they're kind of, they're only one kind of customer, they can afford to pay someone to do that for them. But, yeah. And I think it's interesting also, I'm just thinking as you're saying all this, in terms of, how many people can't afford to buy land or build a house or have a home of their own? There's an increasing number of people who can't afford to have their own home. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's people building and rebuilding and rebuilding because the fashion has changed and they want to have a different thing or they've got three houses. And there's something about uh, this idea that we used to have this idea that everyone would one day own their own home. And once you build it, that's where you live. Yeah. And you see these old people who've lived in exactly the same house for 50 years. Mm. And it's devastating for them to move into a retirement home because that's where they've lived for 50 years and it's where all their memories are. Yeah. These days people are building, rebuilding, Flipping, moving, yeah. you yeah. know, changing everything. And it is a, it's a different mentality of what it's worth, mm. what a house is worth, what a home is worth. Yeah, I think we worked at such a fine tolerance, or we're meant to, in the building code. You're meant to make walls within three or four mil and door gaps about two mil. So it kind of scares people away from having a go themselves. I think the fact that we're making buildings so sterile looking has scared people away from becoming owner builders. A big part of our business is to try and empower people to have a go themselves. And you actually can still, if you're prepared to put the time in, build your own house relatively cheaply. We've got to a point where we think we're so valuable. We think that our time is so valuable that we can't afford to do it. And if we got to that, I think we've kind of failed. You pay thousands of dollars for permits these days and you've got to have a certain skill set and a certain amount of knowledge so that the house that you build doesn't burn it's down safe. or fall down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people who now are scared off by all those regulations. It is. We've got to come back to a spot where you are the one making the choice, I think. I'd like to see people be more empowered to choose and be responsible. If you want to build a house, that was your choice to do that. The next person that buys it, that's their choice to buy it. The other thing I'm thinking as you're talking though is this idea that people are building these bland houses as you said before because they're building it with the next person in mind and the sale value and it's an investment rather than what's the home that I will love mm. and it might be kooky and it might have some crazy features and have really interesting unusual things going on yeah. but if you're really thinking about oh well I don't want to buy that crazy window that I love because the next person might hate it and I don't want to paint the wall that colour yeah. you know yeah. like this. Yeah. I it's like it's a different mentality about what your home is for. It's totally right. Yeah. It's and totally, oh, I just think that we also right. think that we're so uniquely special. <laughs> I think we forget that we're actually a race of fairly cookie cutter. You know, there's nuances within humanity. I do understand that. But at the end of the day, we all have the same requirements. I mean, basically, we just live in glorified sheds, all of us. Really, when you think about it, we all have the same needs. A roof over our head, warmth, security, Weatherproof. Yeah, a bit of natural light. Yeah, I think the th I think we're also, with the houses that are being built now and all the housing estates you see, they're efficient in one sense, but once they're done, they're done, and people are leaving these places on the weekends to go to places that have got more soul and more feeling. You're like, up this way, every kind of quirky little charming B&B is booked out all year round with people that are coming from these places to get away from it. There's half falling down shacks that are getting $1,000 a weekend because People want to be around something real.
the things that frustrates me the most. The next person that walked into this yard and asked for black butt timber or spotter gum can jump on a plane and go to Queensland and find out where it really comes from. We've got local grey box here that you can get locally that is as durable, more stable because it's from a local area, and it's not on the architect's list of choice of timbers. We've got to start looking at growing and using our own local timbers, iron bark, grey bark. We've got some of the best timbers right here in this town. Growing local that, timbers for... That we can get a hold of and we, we can harvest right now. We've got to keep... We're not planting enough, but there is, there is this timber available, especially with recent storm damages. Well, it's really interesting, that question, and I'm thinking of the wombat forest and mm. the salvage of all that stuff mm. and how contentious that is. Mm. Yeah. Cutting down of forests is a major problem in terms mm. of carbon and all of that stuff. But it's like people still do want to build stuff and we need to, as a society, figure out how are we going to... Like, if we regulate our timber industry so much here and stop cutting down forests in Australia, we're just going to start importing and exactly. cutting down forests from but Indonesia. It's like, got, we're yeah. just going to do it somewhere else that won't have the same... Uh, we've got the, we've got a, we need to figure out how to do it We've got the most here. amount of land, we've got a good soil. Timber is our greatest natural resource. We've taken it more than growing it. As long as we plant and more trees. We've talked no end about this notion. I reckon every sizeable town in Australia surrounded by farmland should have its own timber plots yeah, that's managed by the community. Like, why haven't we got 500 acres on the outskirts of Malden or, you know, across the Malort Plain somewhere managed by local councils as timber plantations oh, no, for actually, local, no, local timbers? No, not like a council, just by community, community properties. Community, which is community. Well, you're voicing it on this podcast, now we're going to do it. Yeah, I know. No, no, I'm just, I mean, it's great to have ideas, but yeah, so that is an, a, another really big issue. We have growing demand in every town across Australia and the world because of population growth. Trees grow. Trees grow. They're a great resource. There's a fellow that works for us called Greg Denny, lives out in uh, Barring Up. We've just recently been using some Macrocarpa, which is European Cypress, that his father planted in the 50s down in the Otways. Pretty fertile soil, good rainfall. So the trees that his father planted, not long ago, have come to age in time for Greg to build his own house and Greg's son to build his own house. And there's still plenty of them down there. So in a relatively short time, with a little bit of effort playing these trees in the 50s, He's produced a resource, and we've been able to use it for our yard and sell it here as well. They're from the trees that Greg has been watching grow up in his lifetime. Greg's 64 this year, I think, and he's not slowing down and he's still harvesting these trees. So it's a And that's again the same thing of, are people prepared to put down roots enough to invest in something that won't mature for 50 years? Yes, and I think it's come with that mindset. And, and, that, and a lot of people, especially as we exactly. worry about bushfires, like yeah. if people are investing in building a forest, it's like, well, there's a very high risk that that's going to burn down before yeah. it matures. Yeah. So if you're looking at it purely from a business and risk-taking perspective, it may not seem worth it. But if you're looking at it from a community perspective mm. and uh, sustainability and as a carbon sink mm. for 50 years, then that's awesome. And if mm. you're not burning that wood, but you're building with it, then the carbon stays in the wood. In the wood. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, I mean, I just like, think it's a yeah. no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of but it's a really, it's a mentality thing, isn't it? Because yeah. I have heard people have stopped investing in growing sustainable timber because as business people, if they're getting investors from wherever in the world, mm. it's high risk and slow return. Sure. But as but a result, for, we put a lot of pressure on our state forests. Yeah. But as a community, I think your solution is a great one. But you need people who feel like they're going to live here for the next 50 years and their kids are going to want to live yeah. here. Mm. And that's a different conundrum because most kids move away. Mm. They might move back mm, again, yeah, but a lot of kids move, move away. Yeah, pretty nice <laughs> yeah though. it's true. Pretty nice. Though. You imagine if a local tree farm was owned and ran by a thousand people in the community. They didn't all work on it physically. There might be a few representatives that get paid to do it by the rest of us. Yeah. But how nice would it be if you didn't come back for 20 years, you went away as a kid here and you came back 20 years later and you saw that tree that you were involved in planting now coming of age you can't get your arms around it or there's things living in that tree you're pretty satisfying yeah to, and know, then you get that, to cut it down have that connection to place <laughs> yeah, build a yeah, house. Get a, and plant another tree and plant another tree that's yeah you're going to get people who get very attached to the trees <laughs> uh, yeah but i think i think I, I think i think the forestry model that we're used to seeing is that kind of monoculture just big rows I think the land around here would lend itself to 
really interesting kind of design for us. The range of timbers, plants for different uses. What's it name? Yeah, different. What's uh, it Rowan Reed. Rowan Reed's got yeah. an example of you know mixing species mm. for different uses. Well, Rowan Reed's an agroforester from the Otways. Who anyway? That's his model. But yeah, so um, growing forests for timber, but having multiple species and yeah, well, I mean, also timber for future. I yeah. mean, you know, the diggers, the blazies, sort of creating their own arboretum based on future species. You know, like I mean, we're kind of living in a rapidly changing climate where Melbourne's looking like Broken Hill in 2050. So a lot of the science is that, that's what we're looking at. So a lot of ecologists and growers are planting species for the future not necessarily species that are endemic to your area that's the yeah, well, the, the salvage yard for us is one thing that's important but it's just one thing that we're interested in we've closed our doors to the walking traffic for a few months so we're still open by appointment and we've just got to give the yard a big revamp and part of that time just to try and work out where this is going and how this business has a long-term viability in this community and you know and, and, and has more involvement in things other than just me going to melbourne and chasing stuff around the place because i can only do it for so long the honeymoon's over yeah, yeah some, some of those <laughs> so nights. you either outsource that and, or hire people who can do that for you yeah or... and that's yeah training up yeah, a that's, big part that's, of our yeah. mission is to recognize the dismantling industry as a trade it's someone with specific tools and and training and that's the part that we really like to see is that the industry, you cannot knock something down without having to get an assessment. And that assessment then may involve removal of things carefully. And that needs to be done by someone who's got those skills. But there's a few people that are doing the really good stuff, unrecognized. People that are so good at their hands and yeah. doing other salvages that, are, that we buy from. Yeah. So these guys that do are very small and they're freaking heroes. Yeah, they're heroes. Right. These guys should be training. But they should be the training generation. the next generation to yeah. create an industry. They're, they're carrying on the skills that their fathers and uncles taught them, but they don't see it like that. Mm. They're just doing what they know. But what they know is such an endangered yeah. species. We need to create an industry. There is no industry. Yeah. There's no salvage industry. And I remember you asked me what stops people from building with recycled materials. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the time over the last couple of decades that Matt and I have been working together is that you find that in this couple of fat decades where it's all about luxury and we don't like to see the dirty workshop in the back, we just like to see the finished product at the front, we often get pegged as skip divers. So there's a certain grubbiness about the industry because you can't avoid the fact that it just takes physical labour. Yeah. And it's kind of grubby, you're picking over somebody else's stuff. And we don't tend to like that. We, we don't like it in the kind of general waste industry. I we love don't. It. Yeah, well, so, yeah, you love it. <laughs> there's a reason you're here. There's a reason that you love skips on the side of the road in Melbourne because yeah. they're generally full of heaps of great stuff. But there is a certain image that is applied to you if you work in the salvage industry you're generally a scumbag skip diver yeah so i think that puts a lot of people off that's uh, no, cool and that's i cool get on with it. Yeah. yeah just get on with just get on with it get over it and get on with it that's fine but also i think that there is yeah. still... but in terms of creating an industry it's a block yeah uh, i think it's one so. of, it's not sexy it's, uh, yeah. so it's... i used to kind of think how can you make salvage sexy yeah i see it in melbourne going on the sites some of the big companies we go and get stuff from there's something around smashing something up and wasting it and wrecking it that makes you feel like you're superior and that you're the king, you're wealthy, I'm such a rock star, I can do this. I go down to Melbourne, I see this, and uh, this is where the owners of these companies need to kind of get on board and teach these young guys and girls that this is cool. It's a culture, this it's is, an attitude. Yeah, we're going to do this, this is really important, it's actually we have to do it. But yeah, I feel all the time, some of the sites I go to are totally embracive and they love it and we're high-fiving and how good is this? Other guys, you can feel them looking down at you, kind of like you're scum. Right, what do you, you want know? this for? And, um, you know, little do they know, I've probably got more value on the back of that truck than they've got doing that whole job. It's really interesting, isn't it? I got this massive three-panel wide sliding double glazed door from a guy locally who had salvaged it because he was helping at a build in Melbourne and it was a brand new build and there was a scratch in the metal yeah. somewhere. And so the builder who's very high-end yeah, building for that. very wealthy people, he just 
got rid of that door entirely. And that yep. guy just happened to be there on site that day. And he's like, can I yeah. grab a trailer and take that? And the yep. builder was like, yeah, take it. It's worth nothing to me. Yeah. And so they brought in a whole new double glazed three panel sliding. That would have panels. been worth thousands. Yeah. Mm. So I got this thing for free because he's had it sitting at his house because he just couldn't bear to see that go to the tip. And yeah, it would have yeah. gone to the tip. What makes yeah. us so like, special that, that hasn't even been just used. polish out a scratch yeah. and get on with it? Yeah. You well, know if I mean? your, first, your dog's going to scratch it in the first week anyway. Yeah. That's an, a mentality in the building industry at yep. the beginning end that so much yep. new materials mm -hmm. is rejected, So, let alone the second-hand yep. stuff at the end. Totally. Of, you yeah, know. A big part of our stock's now too, and it's, look, the funny thing is this yard wouldn't be here without that kind of discussion yeah, behaviour, so we're kind of, we're kind of, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Well, but, I'd yeah. be happy not to have a yard. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal. Yeah, I mean, it's... No, but there are so many of them that it's so competitive and that there's not enough materials to fill a yard anymore. I mean, isn't that our ultimate goal? I think it's a different, yeah. I think these yards are important because ultimately they're, they're the places that process and transfer the materials back to its new life. But if yeah. we had an industry where houses were built to be deconstructed in 30, 40, 50 years, mm -hmm. and the deconstruction was inbuilt into our society as something that we all just, of course we do that, mm. and then it gets taken away in a usable form, and then that's all just part of a big flow. Yep. Or even better, before it's deconstructed on site, whatever's going to be built there uses 70% of the materials in the new build and they don't even need to have to be trucked Take it off away. site. I mean, that's a yeah. whole other circular well, that's, we movement. Were, we were, yeah, but that is, a small you know, example I mean, the of, amount of diesel we burn in this country, just moving shit around is small, remarkable. Yeah, a great little example of that. We were in Croatia. We went travelling around the world a few years ago with the kids. We bought a van in Europe and we went around Europe and saw those great old buildings and we were staying in Croatia and saw a fella restoring this old stone building and he was using stones from another old building that had fallen down. We were there for a couple of weeks and he was up on this timber scaffolding and he was using this really old scaffold plank that had come out of an old building. The week we left, I saw him use that scaffold plank. He cut it up and made it into the window frame. So the same bit of timber. That he'd been standing you know, on for the whole build. Yeah, the whole build. Yeah. He then at the used end of that. the build, he used it for his window frame and it was kind of like, from the start, I think he had planned on using that and he got it from somewhere else. So that timber just went on and on and on. And why can't it? We were on an island, so that was island mentality as well. But maybe we should all live like we're living on an island. I mean, ultimately we are. That's the part that I think Anna and I probably come together on, is that recycling is something, that's just part of it, but it's about looking at every little thing you do and weighing up in your mind how that's going to impact everything around you. It should just be, in my mind, there's enough stuff already in the world we just got to keep it going around. And the problem is we've designed an economy that's based on brand new, brand new, brand new. And so many businesses rely on survival by reproducing. And why can't we just restore, fix and carry on again? I think you could probably have the same amount of employment, the same amount of wealth and the same amount of security in your economy by just keeping going what we've got going. And less around. holes in the ground filled with domestic building waste. And less holes in the ground to dig up new stuff so that we can make Great. new stuff. Just less holes in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, just keep it there. Yeah. I know it sort of sounds like we've come full circle, but you said before you were just kind of summarising, like in the future, that there would be a salvage industry to kind of knock that down and then those materials would be available. And what could be different around that cycle is, I think, the thing that Matt and I both have come to understand more and more readily, especially when we talk about the general trade attitude that we see on mainstream building sites around reusing materials. It's unsexy, it's not cool, it doesn't represent the wealth that they're yeah. making or Once. kind of rock star attitude that we see in young tradies often. Tradespeople. And tradespeople, sorry, Matt. And uh, you know, I think a lot of time, a lot of our customers here, and I especially noticed, I would say sort of uh, women, older women, have come in here and maybe I'm more aware of it because I'm a woman who works in this industry but a lot of conversations I have are around people that have come back here and who are close to tears because they want to do something but their builders blocking them because it's too difficult and we hear it probably 10 times a week. My builder won't let me use that window, my builder won't let me use that whatever. The reason they're often unclear about. I happen to know what that reason often is. And I see it when the builders come to pick up the stuff. They might look at something with slight disdain, you know, and I'm thinking, 
Why are you curling your lip at this window? It's got all the same functional parts as a new window. It just happens to have a bit of flaking paint on it. And what they're doing is they're surmising how much of their time it's going to take to put the new sash weights in. And basically, ultimately, they decide that they can make easier money doing something that's doesn't take so much creative energy. Sometimes I find with the younger builders, they haven't got the confidence. Nobody's taught them how to kind of think flexibly about re reinstating that window back in a building because it's not a cookie cutter, it's not off the shelf. The specs are a little bit out. When you go to the hardware store, you know the size timber you're gonna get. But a lot of the older period homes don't have contemporary sizes. So you're either having to be a little bit more creative thinking but nobody's taught these young people how to do it yeah. so the easiest thing is to push it back onto the client say it can't be done it's a waste of time don't use it yeah. and then i often find that you get this dilemma but ultimately people are so nervous about doing the wrong thing by their builder because it's taken them eight months to find one to just put a window in that they say oh, i'm really sorry i'm really sorry i really want to use that window and i say that's fine don't worry about it but yeah, i happen to know that the missing link is training at a TAFE level. Yeah, yeah. restoration and yeah. repair work of older items that are in our yard and old houses needs to be part of the trade school. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been dead a, in the water for decades. Putting a, a sash core on a on a sash window is, isn't that hard if you know what you're doing. It's or a relatively quick job. putting a bay window. I mean, we don't tend to see a lot of bay windows being put into houses anymore. The carpenters haven't got training on all the confidence to know how to do it. It's not that hard. You can probably Google it. But yeah, it's not being taught. I guess the yard's fantastic. We're really proud of what we've created. It's enabled us to do good things when it comes to diverting waste from landfill, but it is easier to collect items than it is to sell them. And I think that the op shop would have the same problem because we all consume so much and we don't stop. We're not training people to recognise the worth and the skills. So, I mean, ultimately the end game, I'd like to even just see insert three carpentry at TAFE. I'd like to see a subject on building with salvaged materials. That would be a start next to new schools that purely focus on deconstruction. I mean, that would be amazing. Imagine, if, a, imagine if there was even one of those schools in Melbourne. I think yeah. some of the TAFEs do look a little bit into it, but not really enough. I think it's mostly around the safe deconstruction. About the health and safety yeah. rather than the mechanics the of how yeah, to do it. Yeah, around the mechanics of the how to re reuse it. Yeah, it's yeah. about, I mean, of all the apprentices that we've had over the years, I've spoken to a lot of those folk about what it is that they get taught and they say it's around safely being able to take out a structural beam. They teach them how to safely mm. put a new yeah. beam in, but you know, what happens what to those windows when you take them out? Yep. A couple of the yards I go to in Melbourne, when you're passionate about something and you tell these young people the story behind it and what they're handling, they actually are really interested. It's the bosses that are really kind of set in the culture. So I love getting down to Melbourne and getting in their ear and just telling them what they're handling. It's American red pine, it's New Zealand carry, and they've got no idea what it is. But when you tell them what it is, they often get quite excited about it. Mm. So it's just uh, the education around what we've got already. And then that opens their minds to the value of what they're handling rather mm. than just the job of it. Yeah, yeah, and the monetary value. I mean, the reality yeah. is once you put a dollar value on something, people get more interested. I mean, that yeah. is the sad reality, of, but it's important. Yeah. if you want to make an impact. If you look at the retail end of the, what the materials are worth, and say your house, if you put all that material in a stack, sorted and, and organised, there's way more value in that material than what the profit is in demolishing the building. And a lot of places double or triple. So it's really a no-brainer. It just takes a bit more time, but there's more monetary value in regaining that material. I've quite often been to jobs where I know the demolisher's doing this big house in Hawthorne for 30,000. There's probably 50 grand worth of salvage in it. If you had to look at it like that. And I can't get all of it. I could just get stuff I can. But, but if, this, if the industry that. really existed in a healthy way, you would have the phone number of the guy who collects the timber, the phone number of the guy who collects the tiles, yep. the phone number of the guy who has the roofing materials yep. and the other guy who collects all the plumbing and the copper. And yep. like some of those old buildings have Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. they would have employees set up to be able to yeah. kind of disperse it. It's like that. the opposite of the building industry where you call yeah. your plumber, you call your roofer, you yep. call your... Exactly. But you would be the opposite. You don't want to waste time doing it in reverse. So we've got this all kind of like ask about all it is a little bit more time yeah. it's a little bit more time slow it down we're not going to pull this house down in one day we're going to do it in two weeks yeah and, and that gives that. everybody time to do it responsibly i think just the people out there thinking about 
if you want to use that stuff in your own place or your own projects, it's not that hard to get a few little skills on how to use it. You've got to just remember it's either you doing it or you're paying a tradesperson to do it. So yes, if you can afford to and pay someone else, fine. But if you can't, you just got to do it yourself. It takes effort. It's worth doing. And yeah, I do think on the, on the point of people getting amongst it in terms of building their own thing, there is so much YouTube advice now. Oh my gosh, you can't can, get away from can, it. <laughs> like there's, there's some amazing, really creative builders who just make videos about how to do any old thing and yeah. you can watch it and figure yeah, out right. how to do stuff. Totally, yeah. It's amazing. And how cool that it totally, actually gets yeah. there. I mean, how, I always wonder how all those YouTube videos get there. I mean, really, yeah. people are just enthusiastically posting yeah. all the time. Yeah. Just, Thank you for that. Don't be afraid to, to get amongst it. And there's plenty of demolishers that you turn up at their sites and say, hey, can I grab some of that timber? They'll be more than happy for you to take it. Just, you know, you've got to obviously work in with them so you can do it safely. But there's not enough people like ourselves in the few yards in Melbourne that can get around all these sites going on right now. So, yeah, get out there, stick your nose in places where you shouldn't go. More the merrier. And just ask, and, you know, can I grab that corrugate iron? Can I, can, can I use that timber? And, you know, the old slab of beer is always still the best currency. <laughs> it does actually <laughs> work still. And what do they say? You've got to pay somehow, physically, financially or emotionally. You can't avoid one of those. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and it's very satisfying. We're sitting on deck now with you here and everything around us has come from somewhere else and it feels good. And it makes things unique and interesting. In a world that really needs it, I reckon. So there you go, that was Anna and Matt from The Salvage Yard in Castlemaine. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the building industry and all the ways we could, as a society, do it better. Reduce, reuse and recycle. If any part of the conversation caught your attention, there are links and notes about the show on the episode page on the website. Don't forget to share the show with your friends and tell them about it, especially if you enjoyed any of the ideas that you heard today from Anna, Matt or myself or our conversation. It's important to talk about these things and keep the conversation going. Don't forget to get your saltgrass ethical t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, posters and puzzles. There are new designs all the time. Just jump onto saltgrasspodcast.com and click on merch and it will take you through to the online shop. For those of you listening on the radio, please note that you can listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. You can follow us on all the socials and you can subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Ali Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt. 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 Yeah. Salt of the earth people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.